said, I saw three jet black, hair covered, huge, I don't know, Bigfoot, I guess. This is Bob Gimling, and you're listening to the Paranormal Porto. Welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate all of you out there, and thank you so much for your wonderful support. Remember, if you've got an experience and you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me. You can reach me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Hey all, this is Don, and welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I uh, just wanted to let you know that we had such a great interview with uh, Todd Nees from the American Primate Conservatory. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we didn't cut anything out. So this is going to be part one, and then next week we will be presenting part two. Uh, it was just such a great one, I just didn't want to get rid of anything. So I wanted to make sure that we passed on all the information, all the ideas that he had to you guys and give you the best show we could. So here we go. Let's get on with Brent. Ladies and gentlemen, we got an epic show on the on deck here for you, uh, one that I'm excited to bring you. Uh, Don and I had the pleasure of meeting our guest tonight uh, a couple of times uh, in in the last couple months, and it was a great time. We got to know him and sit down and and relax and uh, throw one or two back, and and uh, it was a great time. But, ladies and gentlemen, the, the man that is here to join us and educate us all, of course, is Mr. Todd Neese uh, of the American Primate Conservancy. Todd, welcome to the show, and thanks, man, for making this happen. Hey, it's great to talk with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. Um, you've done so many of these shows, and I understand that <laughs> it must it must be kind of a, a, a trial to tell the same stories over and over again. But uh, I know that you, you had your encounter, your first really uh, in-your-face encounter in 93, but would you mind going into the story and tell, tell it to our audience for those who are not familiar with it? Oh, sure. Absolutely. No worries. It's... Uh... It's kind of etched in my memory, if you will. Um, I should probably preference this by saying that uh, although I've grown up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, where you can't help but hear stories about Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and what have you, I'd always just kind of, I don't know, relegated them to a campfire story to, you know, scare the kids, keep them close to the camp and all that stuff. And I just... Uh, I guess you could say I was agnostic, if anything. I just um, I just didn't really care one way or the other. I didn't read the books or watch the TV shows and things, and I just, uh, uh, you know, went with the flow. But uh, um, honestly, my um, initiation into the Bigfooting world mm-hmm. was rather abrupt. It was... Uh, certainly something I, I, I never expect expected or planned on. And, and so back in 1993, I was a combat engineer with the Oregon army national guard. And for your listeners who don't know what we, we do, uh, a lot of it involves using high explosives. Uh, and by high, I mean a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, it is fun. I love it. I love it. It's probably some of the best years of my 20 plus year career with the military, but, uh, it totally ruins the 4th of July, but I digress. Um, so 
uh, on this particular day, it was April 3rd, a Saturday uh, in 1993, um, we had been given special permission to access some private timberland and utilize three gravel quarries that they had constructed on their rather immense holdings. And we would go in there and based on the scenarios that were presented to us, um, use different types of explosives in different ways. Mm. And so it was the, um, the first, um, gravel pit we worked at was a cutting charges. We were using C4, which gets six times hotter than the sun in a fraction of a second and melts steel like butter. Oof. Um, the second site was a surface may, <clears throat> excuse me, a surface, uh, mounted minefield that we had to breach a path through as if we were to get people or vehicles through it again, using C4. The third and last site was a cratering charge. And for that, we had been soaking about 250 pounds of ammonium nitrate in diesel fuel. Wow. And so right after we uh, ignited the blast at the second site, we moved on to the third one. And the, the idea of a cratering charge is that you're, you're going to essentially blow a road uh, to bits to where nobody could utilize. You know, well, obviously, the enemy cannot utilize that road. Oh. And so it was that we set these fuses. We had about 11 minutes, as I recall. And we got back into our convoy, which consisted of two Humvees up front, a deuce and a half made up the third vehicle, which is a two and a half ton uh, troop transport. And then the commander's Humvee brought up the rear. I happened to be a passenger in the second Humvee sitting behind the driver. And it was a, an incredibly nice day in April in the coast range. As you know, you know, a temperate rainforest, but it was a nice, unusually nice day. So I had the window open. I've got my arm hanging out the, the you know, the side of the, the Humvee. And I'm, because I lived in that area, I had hunted it extensively for, for deer and elk. And mm -hmm. so it's just quite natural for me to look around the countryside, looking for any sort of game. Sure. Um, and. I got a little more than I asked for because uh, as we rounded this corner, the second rock quarry came into view and they're standing in the middle out in the open in this quarry were these three dark figures. And my first, my first uh, reaction was what the hell are those people doing down there? Because our standard operating procedure was that we had a hundred percent accountability. In other words, we, we knew where everybody was and normally everybody was within eyesight yet. Here's these three individuals standing out there in this quarry. Now the quarry mind you, um, is kind of a concrete gray basalt. Okay. Um, so these dark figures, these really black figures really, made a, for a very good contrast between what they were standing in front of. And I hardly got the thought out of my head that, you know, what the hell are those people doing down there? When I, it just dawned on me as the closer I looked, it's like, those are not people. <laughs> no. And the reason I say that, I mean, yeah, they're standing on two legs, but these things were huge. Uh, they were all three built like like bodybuilders are extremely muscular. Uh -huh. um, their trap, their trapezoids looked like they just extended from the base of their ear straight out to the shoulder. So there was really not much of a neck to be seen. Oh. Um, the chest was four, four and a half feet across massive shoulders, arms. And this is, this is what really got me. The arms hung below their knees. Oh my God. The arms were like, I don't know if you remember Stretch Armstrong, that, oh, yeah. that toy you could get where you can like stretch the. It looked like he like grabbed his arms and stretched them way longer than they should be, and the legs as well. The legs were disproportionately long for a human, and so you know, of course, that got my attention. Uh, a, a 
amongst other things. But the the one thing that really struck me as well was that, um, so picture, if you will, three individuals standing abreast and watching our convoy come down the, the ravine across from them. And the one in the middle being taller than the two that flanked it left and right was probably about nine feet tall. And I estimated the two either side of it to be about seven feet tall. But again, all of them with this just brawny uh, weightlifter physique. And uh, while that one in the middle, the big one, the bigger one, I should say, um, stood there like a statue, these two either side of it, left and right of it, were (laughs) shifting their weight from one foot to the other and in the process swaying, rocking back and forth. And there's these, these long pendulous arms are swaying below their knees, below their knees. Right. And this wasn't a two to three seconds. Something ran in front of my car. I think it was a Bigfoot kind of a sighting. I watched them for a full 25 seconds, which may not seem like a long time, but I would challenge your listeners to look at your watch for 25 seconds. Yeah. You'll get about 15 seconds into it and get really bored. But um, (laughs) 25 seconds of seeing what I was seeing seemed like a lifetime. And they, again, they exhibited that, that activity the entire time I I watched them. So 25 seconds goes by um, our Humvee turns off to the right and I lost sight of them. And at that point, I just kind of collapsed in my seat and I'm just, you know, my head swimming with like a hundred different thoughts at once. And I'm sure I'm just, I mean, you're traumatized, really. I mean, your, your actual, I don't know the right word, but your, your, your intellect, I guess, is traumatized because we are brought up to believe that everything that exists, we learn in school. Sure. And this was not in the textbook. (laughs) And um, so it was like, okay. um, You know, one of the things that struck me is I'd been out there hunting uh, deer and elk season after season after season. And it kind of came to my mind that, oh, my God, these things have been out there this whole time, and I've never seen them. And I've been out there dozens of times, and it's just like, wow, you know. And the other thing that got to me was um, I've just seen something scientifically, historically important, and what the hell am I supposed to do about it? Right. Um, And who's going to believe me anyway, right? (laughs) So um, I wrestled with the same kind of things uh, nine out of ten eyewitnesses do, Mm -hmm. and that's whether to risk the ridicule or somebody questioning your honesty or your sanity for that matter. And in short order, I kind of came to the point where I was like, you know, Todd, just keep your mouth shut, uh, file this away in the whatever file and, (laughs) and move on. But that kind of changed when we got down to the, this staging area where we waited for the explosion. And, um, I instinctively got out of my, the Humvee. We had still a couple of vehicles coming in behind us. So I just kind of jogged back up the road in the direction we were going or that we came from. And, uh, I went as far as I dared. Again, I could talk about 100% integrity. Everybody's got to be accounted for. You didn't dare walk out of sight of the main body. Sure. And so I went as far as I dared, maybe 100, 150 feet, yards, I don't know. I went as far as I could still with still being able to be seen and accounted for. And I like step, I'm up on my tiptoes. I got my hand on my forehead. I'm just trying for, for whatever to just, all I can to, to see these things again. And unfortunately there was a, a little bit of a hill in front of me that pr- prevented me from getting another act. You know, if I had gone maybe another hundred yards, I might've seen them, but sure. I didn't there. So while I'm standing there, um, I heard somebody yell out my voice. Somebody go, Hey niece. Mm-hmm. And I looked to my right and here comes Sergeant, uh, Martin 
I've worked with him for years, and um, he said, "He says, what are you looking at?" And I dropped my hand to my side, and I said, "Nah, nothing," <laughs> which which was true, um, technically. Um, he continued to walk toward me. I remember he was smoking on a cigarette, and he came right up to me and looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, "I don't suppose you saw what I saw down at the second class site." And being the brave person I am, I said, I don't know, Jeff, what did you see? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, and he took a drag off a cigarette. I remember he looked, he looked uh, left and right, made sure nobody else was in earshot. And, I, and he did, he said, I saw three jet black, hair covered, huge, I don't know, Bigfoot, I guess. Wow. And at that, of course, you know, I was kind of relieved sure. to hear him say that. And mind you, I, I really didn't need the, the, the confirmation of what I'd seen. I, 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 I can't unsee what I saw back then. I can close my eyes right now and see it just as clearly as it, I did then. And, right. but it was kind of cool to know somebody else had at least experienced, you know, what I'd, what I'd seen. Sure. And, um, so yeah, that was like, that was cool. <laughs> and then uh, it doesn't end there because being a traditional guardsman, we all have nine to five Monday through Friday jobs, and we volunteer to train on weekends mm-hmm. to practice our, our, our skill sets. Sure. And so it would be early May, a month later, that we had another training drill, as they call them. And two more soldiers came forward and both exclaimed that they had seen exactly what Jeff and I had seen, independent of all of us. So it was kind of really cool to to get that. And so I guess in a way this, everything combined makes this a a fairly unique um, sighting in the sense that Rarely do you have multiple eyewitnesses. Rarely do you have multiple creatures. Mm-hmm. And then you take into account what we were doing, which, I mean, these explosions were not small. They were sending mushroom clouds up, you know, to 2,500 to 3,000 feet wow. and creating little minor earthquakes in the process. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, we're out there blowing up their homes, or at least somewhere near their homes. And so the the combination of those three things made made for a a, a fairly unique right um, encounter, and so that's how I got into it, and I've been doing it ever since. So twenty eight plus years. Now I got to ask you. Um, you said this was at site two that you saw the the creatures. It was at the second blast site. Yeah. yeah. So that, but the blasts were already finished at that site by this time, correct? Oh yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, they actually they they appeared, but uh, yeah, they they appeared on site. Uh, and uh, I mean, this was a two-tiered gravel quarry mm-hmm. that was connected by a diagonal road um, down, you know, from the top quarry down to the the second one. But where we did the explosives, were on the it was in the lower quarry, and months later there were still craters. Filled with rainwater, wow. where we had detonated this these plastic explosives. But these guys, whatever they were, uh, sure. they they appeared there in less than an hour after the explosion. And I have to tell you, I, I, I you know, you'd think, and because everybody, a lot of people have said to me, it's like that's crazy because if such an explosion happened as you described. Every animal, deer, elk, bear, cougar, possum, skunk, mm-hmm. chipmunk is going to be going 360 degrees away from there. Yeah. And it's going to take them a long time to get up the nerve to come back. Sure. And I agree. I, I totally agree, mm-hmm. which is why I'm stunned uh, at the, the fact that they were able to overcome that innate fear. Right. And... You know, to 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 let their curiosity override that, that 
fear that you would expect. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that um, intense of curiosity mm -hmm. that can over, override the fear that you would think they would have really tells me a lot about their intelligence level. Because a deer isn't going to see that, hear that, feel it, and, and, and go, hey, yeah. let's go back and see if it's going to go off again. Or let's go back <laughs> and see what, how that, you know, right. it's just not... It's not something that a common animal will do, right. but we're not talking about a common animal. So, right. um, I just, I just, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, they are so intent on finding out why, how, and who hmm. did that, that fear became uh, a s secondary to their, their, yeah their inquiry, their, their, um, curiosity. So, right. um, so that impressed me, I think, um, mm -hmm. to a degree. And, and that's why I think they're just, they're, I think they do have some sentience that most common animals don't. They get a kick out of, uh, playing with humans. They toss rocks out in front of the trail or they do the tree knocking and that kind of sort of stuff. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing, is that if those huge explosions had gone off, you're exactly right. The natural fauna would be way gone, and maybe a season or two before they come back with that kind of a shock. But, uh, you know, and I'm, I may be exaggerating, but, you know, you, you, you and I are on the same wavelength here. But, yeah, the fact that they came back in, in light of that, not probably understanding anything except, oh my God, you hear that? Let's go check it out. That's an intelligent response. Right. That is completely intelligent. I yeah. wasn't thinking that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I also think, I, I, I wonder, I guess, um, if these three individuals weren't tasked mm. to oh, gotcha. like a century. Sure. While the rest of the 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 clan, if you will, stayed back, but but these three may have were either tasked or volunteered to go investigate and possibly report back. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's just really incredible because you're right. It defies it defies the instinct, and uh, they must have wanted exactly. Answers. Now, I know that this is this is your catalyst. This is your your, your, I don't know, a cauterizing moment when you decided, hey, this stuff is real. Did you then go back and backtrack through your life and, and think about all these stories you'd heard growing up? Um, honestly, no. Um, because they were so anecdotal that it just, you know, kind of bounced off me back then. But you can damn well be assured that my my ears and my <laughs> my my senses are, are you know perked these days and i sure. and it's uh, it never ceases to amaze me that it doesn't matter wherever i go if i happen to be having a conversation with somebody uh, you know a fellow researcher whatever and say a restaurant or, or maybe a bar or whatever that it's it's amazing how many times I've had people who must have had an ear cocked and heard what I was talking about mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom, whatever. And they stop me and go, were you talking <laughs> about Bigfoot? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I hear one of two things. Either you're probably going to think I'm crazy mm -hmm. or... You know, uh, you know he needs to talk to, and I get contact information. But it's happened so many times; it's just it's not even funny anymore. But um, there's a lot of people out there um, that are sitting on information, and quite frankly, if if they're eyewitnesses, they are very troubled about it. I can tell you, 
It took me the better part of a year before I decided to go public, and then even so on a very small scale, which kind of got out of control. But um, <laughs> uh, I have met so many people over 20 years. I have I've um, um, interviewed so many eyewitnesses, and it just amazes me. Um, they'll say, yeah, this, 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 and half. And I go, so when was this? Mm -hmm. And they may be 30, 40 years old. It's like, well, I was 15 at the time mm -hmm. and we were with the family on a camping trip or picnicking or whatever. And it's like, who else have you told? Well, you're the first one. Mm -hmm. And I feel sorry for him. I really do because I've been there. Yeah. And I know what they're carrying. It's 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 traumatic. It really is a traumatic assault on on you as a whole. But I mean, specifically intellectually, it's like I guess they don't tell you everything you really do need to know in school because they missed this one. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So they don't. But but the cool thing about it, it's a real mind opener. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know. I I think in hindsight how many times I was hunting and or just hiking and may have come across evidence and it never even registered yeah because I wasn't thinking in that in that realm because what's even more amazing is now that I am how much evidence uh I see on almost a regular basis mm -hmm. You know, I might have came across a, a, you know, a perfect damn footprint sure, and just simply stepped over it because I'm focused on elk and went, wow, that's interesting foot shape impression on the ground, right. but not believing they exist mm -hmm. versus today. Now all that stuff, you know, jumps out at me. But back then, I know it was just like, if you don't think in terms of they may exist or if, especially when you know they exist, um, you miss a lot. So I guess uh, the upshot of it is that now when I go into the, to the forest and uh, I'm just, I'm on a whole different, my radars sure. have been expanded, I guess would be the right way to say it. Yeah. I, I can imagine that a whole new world opened up for you. And I think that that's probably the case for anybody that just runs headfirst into something like this, because it's a paradigm change. I mean, your whole paradigm shifted in that moment and, and going forward, we got a question in the chat from one of our uh, chatters. Mm -hmm. Android purity says okay. question. This is, this is the first encounter I've heard that had both multiple witnesses and multiple Sasquatch in your research. Have you found another encounter that also had both? Um, yes, actually I have, uh, but they, again, they're few and far between. It's usually a solitary, um, uh, creature species, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there are, there have been many multiple sightings of individual animals. Uh, and I've, I've seen a, a number of those. Um, and then again, there may be, um, sightings of multiple creatures by an individual, but, but that combination of multiple, multiple eyewitnesses with multiple, uh, creatures is, is really rare. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a great question. I, what I wanted to ask so, you was, was having to do with, um, with your research, you actually go out and, and interview with part of the American Primate Conservancy. Do you go out and, and research sightings as well actively as part of what you guys do? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I kind of break it down in uh, my research into, well, a number of categories. But when it comes to field work, um, there's a distinct difference between investigations and expeditions and a lot of people I'll say claim to do expeditions and, and they're like Friday through Sunday. I'm sorry, that's not an expedition, but it's still field work. You know, it's good. It all counts. But, uh, when I, when I 
what I would qualify as an expedition is, is over a, at least over a week of field time. And I've, I've put together a dozen or more of those and they take a lot of work and they take a lot of logistics and, um, but the, the weekend stuff's great too. I mean, you could, you, you could, you know, it's like a lottery. Um, somebody can spend a month out there and get nothing and somebody sure. can be out there and have something happen in the moment. But, um, investigations are a whole nother thing and they, they're usually a day or two. Um, and that's following up on, on a report. Uh, hopefully the sooner, the better, you know, with mm -hmm. regards to when it happened and when you get out there and, and I've done, uh, untold numbers of those as well. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I get out there and I do expeditions. They're generally fairly long-term now that I'm retired, I'm really looking forward to doing some, you know, two, three, four week expeditions because I really think that's the key. Oh, uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, and you can quote me, um, you don't find Bigfoot in so much as Bigfoot finds you. Yes. And all the people going out, what's, what's amazing is, is uh, the vast majority of encounters were people that weren't even out looking. And mm -hmm. God knows there's a bunch of us that are out looking. And, and you know, God bless them. Sometimes they get a, an encounter, but it's, it's usually the happy-go-lucky hiker, camper, fisherman, hunter, whatever that just, sure. you know, realizes out of the blue that something's watching me. Right. Uh, they just sometimes, uh, even without seeing something, they, they kind of get the vibe that they're not alone and then, you know, things happen. Sure. But, uh, you know, it's... Like I say, they, they find you. And, and again, going back to that whole, that whole curiosity element, that, that, that part of intelligence that, is, that it wants to inquire, that wants to learn, that wants to uh, discover, they have that. And so mm -hmm. what happens in the majority of situations is uh, whereas elusiveness and camouflage and, and not moving – and their their general stealth is their best defense. Their worst offense, their Achilles heel, if you will, is that curiosity element. Sure. And that's those are the times that they compromise themselves and ultimately get caught. Now, I would probably guess that that's one out of a hundred. Uh, there's probably a nine, you know, ninety nine times they've watched this that. Uh, we never do a damn thing about it, but sure. that one percent, yeah. There's, there's a, you know, they have been known to, you know, step on a stick or, you know, and I think in the case of the the more juvenile ones, they get a kick out of uh, playing with humans. They toss rocks out in front of the trail, or they. Um, do the tree knocking and that kind of sort of stuff. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's a characteristic necessarily of the of the more adult ones. But um, I think the juveniles they find humans fascinating and they kind of compromise the the order of the clan, if you will, and, they, and they'll take chances. And those are the ones we generally see. Yeah, that's like uh, you know we have quite a few people that we talk to and. Uh, they say they say that it's like a counting coup kind of thing. Like, a, I dare you to do this, or <laughs> right? I dare you to do that thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, we were adolescents once. You know yeah, that. Sure. Yeah. Meanwhile, the adults are like, "Don't go near those people. We won't." And then next thing you know, they're running across yeah. highways. <laughs> they're like, "They're after me." Yeah. No, that's they. Uh, it's like, oops. Yeah. No, but I, that's, that's, it's generally a case where, I mean, there's very few circumstances where a human gets up on one of these things. You got to understand that they're, you know, we talk about IQ, however, you know, I'm, I'm brought that up. So I'm just, sure. you know, about their intelligence level. We measure IQ in terms, in a more technological terms, mathematics, reading, writing, um, different, uh, basic, uh, academics, 
But I think intelligence can be measured on a whole other level when you take it to the animal world. And frankly, there should be more than one test. If there were just two tests, I would love to see an intelligence quotient done with regard to animal behavior, you know, other than human. And I think we would find that the intelligence quotient of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch in the natural environment is far superior to our own. Uh, so yeah, we might, you know, take credit for, yeah, I can add two plus two or, um, (laughs) I can read, I can write, I got to, you know, I can do the basics, uh, social studies and stuff, but these things don't interest them in the least. Right. But what does interest them is, is getting, you know, living, getting along, getting, getting by. And in that sense, I, you know, in the woodsman sense, I guess, uh, the natural sense they've got uh, far more superior intelligence than we do. I looked at my friend, my, my native friend, I said, have you ever thought about just approaching them? <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, hell no. Sure. Yeah, it'd be. A, a, I wouldn't expect them to understand like quantum physics, but you know they they do have an intelligence that they fits, don't need it. Yeah, it fits their experience m- much beyond us. I, I've got to ask you that the curious thing about uh, that occurs to me is you you had mentioned ever you know how many people feel like they're being watched and stuff. Now, when after you had your 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 moment where you saw them and and suddenly they were real. Did you reflect back on on times when you were in the woods and had you ever felt that feeling of of being watched and and then you were like, oh, well, maybe this is what was doing it? That's a great question, and I I don't think I have a good answer for it. Um, I think think, uh, just uh, rhetorically, perhaps, you know, where I'm like, how I, I think I did ask myself, like, how many other times did I, you know, have the heebie-jeebies or, or might have heard something or seen something? But okay. I can't put my finger on any particular situation, sure. but I'm sure a lot of people in your audience can. But um, I, the interesting thing is the change in my approach to nature after after having that that uh, that initial sighting and you got to understand too that sightings or excuse me I, let me let me rephrase that encounters mm-hmm. have they they happen in a number of different flavors if you will um, the ultimate obviously is a visual encounter right but a lot of us have had other encounters myself included which involved vocalizations, for instance. Uh, I'm talking about vocalizations that cannot even come close to matching any known creatures out there uh, in terms of volume, in terms of uh, pitch and tone and all the rest of it. Um, You've got the, the tree knock kind of thing, which... I didn't put a lot of credence in until it happened to me, uh, which was a single tree knock, but it, it was so out of the place. It was like two Louisville slugger, you know, oh. wooden baseball bats being hit together, you know, simultaneously. It was just, it was just a crack, um, and that was followed by a very large tree being pushed to the ground oh, about 30 minutes later. Um, but the one that got me, the one that really got me, uh, as long as we're on that subject, it was, uh, I was in, I was invited to the Omaha Indian reservation last October. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, there's a lot to be said there. Um, sure. I was exposed to something that I had always written off to the, <clears throat> 
with all due respect, the woo, sure. meaning, you know, folks get into paranormal stuff and then, and I, I try to, you know, look for biological scientific reasons for what they're seeing. And I'm actually working on a number of different cases to try to make the irrational more, a little more rational, if you will. Uh -huh. Um, but the whole, I wasn't going to go here, but the whole eye shine thing. Sure. I just, you know, again, thinking of from scientific and I'm not a scientist by any means, but just thinking of from, you know, what I can read about academically, um, didn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I'd kind of put that off to that whole, you know, supernatural experience because it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And trust me now, I'm trying to make sense of it because when I went out there, uh, I flew out on a Saturday, got to meet him on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I didn't get to bed till three o'clock in the morning. Wow. Because we would go out to a couple different areas, very remote. And keep in mind with the COVID going on, the entire um, tribal village was shut down oh. you could not get in there you could, could not get out of there after 10 o'clock at night because they had guards posted going in there it's a little town of maze and you could not get out of there till six in the morning and you better have a reason you know i got to get to a job or whatever so i knew that people weren't allowed out you know out of there. the only reason my my um uh, an indigenous friend was uh, allowed out was because of his stature in the in the council and okay. so they gave him a little you know pass if you will sure we went out five nights in a row this was not by the way planned i did not expect to be up to two thirty in the morning in the middle of nowhere but he wanted to show me this this phenomenon mm -hmm. that he had been dealing with for years and I kind of got my uh, ass handed to me, if I say that, <laughs> um, sure. because uh, what I had written off as being paranormal, I witnessed with my own eyes. And I, I say that reluctantly, um, to be honest with you, because I still can't explain it. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Sure. And if it weren't, now, so he'd go out there in this very remote place, no other vehicles anywhere inside, two-lane road, nowhere to pull off except for this one spot we pulled off, and we'd walk to the edge of the road, and he'd look off into the pitch-black darkness. And in his tribal language, he would say, Oh-ho! Kage! Which meant, hello, friend. <laughs> and... I swear to God, within 20, 15, 20 seconds, all of a sudden, here's a pair of eyes. And maybe 100, 110 feet away up on this little ridge. And I'm looking at this going, no <laughs> way. No. Oh, wow. I am not seeing what I'm seeing. La, 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 la. <laughs> and then there, there were times where we would have two or even three sets of eyes. Oh, Blowing in the dark with no, no, kind of understand, no ambient light. We didn't have headlights on. We didn't have, we didn't even have our cell phones on. There were no flashlights, nothing. Just glowing in the dark. Oh my God. And we're not looking at fireflies. We're not looking at fireflies because these, these two points of lights never separated. They were always the same space apart and they would literally move. And you, you could actually see them blink. And, and what's really weird is the intensity would change somewhat. And I can't believe I'm saying this publicly, but yeah. I saw this and I'm going to go with it because, sure. again, I can't unsee it. So I will figure it out. I'm working on that. I've got a couple of clues. But, mm. uh, but the bottom line is what we saw was freaking amazing. And it was just, if it were just one night. Yeah. Out of five, I would went, well, maybe not. It was all five nights, not only in one location, but two locations. Huh. And the, 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 the killer, the icing on the cake was the vocalizations oh. that accompanied those, the, the eye shine. 
we had some amazing vocalizations. Uh, the the type of and I've heard vocalizations before, but but these were beyond what I'd ever heard in some cases. I mean, yeah, we had the whoops, uh, but we had one female. I, I'm guessing female, okay, just because of the high pitch. Sound off with a five or six second long melody, huh. and it changed in volume. It changed in tone it changed in um uh rhythm and she would do this for five or six seconds and then there'd be a pause and then maybe seven eight seconds later she would do it again exactly verbatim the way the first one came whoa coyotes don't do that and this wasn't even near a coyote sound or volume she repeated a second time. Same change in pitch and tone and volume and crescendo. And she did this four times in a row within a period of maybe 30 seconds. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, it was, it was not threatening in the least bit. In fact, it was beautiful. It was, it was literally a song. Wow. And anytime any animal repeats, uh, what you might consider a word or which I've heard on Ron Moorhead's tapes, the Sierra sounds or a song, if you will, uh-huh. that means that, that's not by mistake. Right. That's a, there's a meaning to that. Right. What it is, I don't know, but you don't repeat the same thing twice, let alone four times unless there's meaning right. to that. And, it was absolutely amazing, but I have to tell you one time we went over, we were having, uh, we were having uh, a little less activity than we normally did. And he said, well, I'm going to take you to a place about four miles still on the reservation, but that's we and a place we call hard knocks. Cause sometimes we get tree knocks over there. He says, I'm going to take you to a place where sometimes we get activity. I'm like, okay, I'm game course i'm driving a rental car and he's riding with me and he takes me through some four-wheel drive <laughs> both you know so i'm like i gotta turn this thing in what you know i would have rented a suv if we were going i reckon that toyota corolla i don't know anyway so we finally got through to an area the the, the grass the brush broke away and we're like on this gravel road overlooking sioux city uh Sioux City, Iowa, in the distance. Okay. Kind of up on a cliff, actually. And he gets out. We turn off all the lights and everything. And he's, again, he says, Oh, ho, Kage. Again, hello, friend. And he would say, Kigoho, which meant come closer. And I'll be damned. Maybe 10 seconds later, there's a pair of lights straight down the, the road we're pointing on. And again, keep in mind, all the lights are off. Mm-hmm. Everything is off. We have no flashlights, nothing. And I see this pair of eyes, maybe 150 feet down the road. Wow. And I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. So, and then, then shortly thereafter, we caught one at our three o'clock trying to get around behind us. Oh, jeez. Oh, and, and we spotted it. A pair of glowing eyes, you know, off to our right. And anyway, I'm getting kind of frustrated at this point. I think that was Thursday. So I was there Monday through Friday. So it was like Thursday. I'm, I'm like, this is just eating me alive. I actually had a flare camera and I could not pick up heat signatures, which was bizarre. Wow. But, uh, but it's not a top of the line camera, mind you. But anyway, I looked at my friend, my, my native friend. I said, have you ever thought about just approaching them? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, hell no. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what? If they're making themselves mm-hmm. no. known to us, then obviously they're trying to make contact mm. or they're not a- afraid of us knowing they're there. Right. And frankly, I think they just knew. Uh, Barry, my friend, had been doing this for years. Uh-huh. I think they actually recognize him. But anyway, I'm like, hold my beer. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> and we weren't drinking beer. But anyway, I'm like, hold my beer. And he goes, what? And I'm going, I'm going out there. And I could hardly see the road in front of me. I mean, it, literally, you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. I'm just making a beeline for those eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think I got within 50 or 60 feet of them, and they just finally blinked out. Oh, wow. And at that, I turned around and walked back. He still talks about that crazy way, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That is bold. Uh, I just, I had to try. I had to try. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It was, it's been a, an incredible conversation, and the the chat's already well, talking. Thank about, you. I've are, enjoyed it. They they're already saying you've got to come back. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I'm I'm more than happy to, and I, I appreciate you taking the time with me. And now, I mean, we just pretty much scratched the surface. I, but uh, anyway. If you'd like. Thank you for listening to me and give me a, an opportunity to sound off and um, and uh, share my theories and concerns and thoughts and experiences, and, and I hope we can do it again. But thanks again, and uh, thank you to all of you out there. Don, anything in closing? Uh, just real quick, do you want him to add his contact info? If, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Todd. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my, my bad. It's no, in, no, it's, no, it's um, no, I appreciate that. Um, so I have a very, uh, speaking of relic hominids, I have a website I really need to update. Uh, it's AmericanPrimate.org, AmericanPrimate.org. Uh, you can contact me directly through uh, email, which is AmericanPrimate.aol. Yeah, I'm like the last three people using AOL, but, you know, <laughs> when you've had it for 20-plus years, you just, you know, I don't want to lose people. But anyway, yeah, AOL, so AmericanPrimate at AOL. Um, and, I, and I will assure you this, that uh, we'll treat any reports professionally, uh, seriously, and confidentially, um, we, uh, we're just looking for data. Um, otherwise I have a Facebook page under my name, Todd Neese, N-E-I-S-S. I have another page under American Primate Conservancy. Mm-hmm. And finally, and we never even got to this, but, uh, I have a, a page under, uh, Beachfoot, mm, oh, Beachfoot. Right. Um, right. on Facebook. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll we, get that next time, though. Yeah, we'll talk about <laughs> Beachfoot next time. We got a whole bunch of there stories. you go. There you go. Well, it's about a year away, so we got plenty of time. But anyway, thanks, guys. I really appreciated uh, you giving me time and and uh, uh, and your and your listeners for some very very great questions. Uh, it's uh, it's always fun to talk about the subject. Amen, brother. Well, thank you for taking us on on your journey and sharing all your insights with us. I I think it's brilliant, and uh, I can't wait to hear more. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Thank you all for being here and being a part of the journey with Don and I, and uh, hopefully you'll keep coming back. Uh, But remember, we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice, take care of each other, help each other out, find the magic in every day, and remember to laugh as much as you can. Good night, everybody. 